and I think there's like this killer, like vicious owl that is in the the Middlesex Fell. So can you t- can you talk about that story, Dave? Like, yeah. I think that's a crazy story. Yeah, that was uh, really bizarre. I was running solo that day. It was I want to say it was like July or something. I had earbuds in because it's a trail I know really well, and um, you know it's a really well traveled, high traffic trail. That place is mobbed typically. Yep. And I'm, I'm just cruising through there, listening to my music. And out of nowhere, I feel like a, like a thud on my back. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, oh, it's, it's one of my friends. Somebody I know is trying to get my attention because I had earbuds in. And I turn around to this freaking giant <laughs> bird. <laughs> like, it's got its claws out and stuff. And oh, it's man. like flapping its wings. And I can hear it like making all this noise. And my, I mean, I'm going to, let me preface this by saying, first, I screamed like a girl. And I'm by no means a badass in any sense of the word, but my immediate reaction is to punch. So I, I literally punched an owl in the face because it was like attacking me. And then I turned around and just booked it as fast as I could. I ran the hell out of there. Um, And I I was alone, man. And and this thing had huge claws. So I was feeling my head. I'm a bald guy. So I'm feeling my head and it had like, I, I felt scratches and stuff. So I got back to the parking lot and I'm asking this total stranger woman who barely spoke English I'm like, are there any, is there any blood? Is, do you see anything going on? She's like, no, no, you're good. But I was like totally convinced it like ripped my skin off. But to your point, um, I went on the Facebook group for the Trail Animal Running Club. It was like a club that often runs in that area. And there's like a bunch of stories of this owl attacking people, including that kid that was years ago. And unfortunately that kid got pretty mangled by the, by the owl. Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, so Stomp episode 49, welcome, welcome to Slasher. Welcome, one year away from the, the doomsday age. Yes, exactly. Actually, this is my age, but I'm like a, a week away from turning 50. Oh, yeah. Any plans? Oh, you said you were going to Boston, right? I am going to Boston, yeah. So Sweet. Yeah, that old. should be fun. It's crazy times right now. It's depressing what's going on in the world, but um, I was talking to my kids the other day about like this whole Russia thing. And the, you know, it is sad that everything going on in Ukraine and Russia, but it is kind of like... It's a little bit like um, they've discovered Super Mario Brothers a little bit with the Cold War now, so I'm sort of like, yeah, this is how we used to live. <laughs> nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, by the time people hear this podcast, we may not exist anymore, so this may be all for nothing. Do you think... Um, <laughs> I feel like your So I feel like the White Mountains would be a safe place to be during a nuclear war. Uh, well, there's nothing strategic at, um, up there that they would. Well, there's a yeah. You have air force bases. We have uh, a nuclear reactor on the coast. That's yeah, what, but that's inactive, not going to affect correct, the White Mountains, more or less. Yeah, you, you'll be fine. Stop. Uh, I'm going to be disintegrated. No one gives a shit what's going on up in New Hampshire. <laughs> so, yeah, we we just get the uh, the westerly breeze from everybody else that's been abolished. So it's yeah. like yeah. all the radiation comes our way, I guess. Yeah, exactly. All right, but let's so keep the, things positive. Yeah, no, no depressing talk. So I, I pulled a couple <laughs> of things I wanted to just give you a heads up on. So there's a guy hiking the Appalachian Trail right now, and he's carrying a cordless leaf blower. Have you heard about this guy? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I saw a picture. Pretty weird, huh? Yeah. So what's his I, reason? I don't know, but the, I had a question for you. So if you were going to carry a weird thing on the Appalachian Trail, what would your weird thing be? Oh, man, weird thing. Probably like a big giant bouncy castle or something like that. You're going to carry a bouncy castle? No, 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 no. You, it would fold up and just pack down real tight. And then when you need it, it would be like 20 by 20 bouncy castle that would self-inflate like all the uh, the sleeping pads that REI make and whatnot. Then you'd have to squeeze it back down again, which would be tough, but it would be yeah. worth it. Yeah, I would have to do something light. I would just bring like a beach ball. <laughs> a beach ball. Beach ball. What well, would you? Would you? What would you bring, Dave? Oh, I'm allowed to talk. Uh, <laughs> you can talk. <laughs> what would I bring? Yeah, you know, you got to bring something that brings like a lot of questions. Maybe a tennis racket. Yes, that would be good. Plus, not to mention, you could use that for self defense, right? Or bugs. You know, black flies. You could whip that thing around and see what happens. Oh, that's a good yeah. answer. That actually is a good yeah, answer. Yeah. But right. I figured out what this guy's doing with the leaf blower. What's he doing? He's practicing leaf no trace. <laughs> okay, well, you've hit your quarter for bad jo- dad jokes for the night. So I wonder if he's um, oh, no problem. If he's charging it on his his breaks into town and then just using it to clear the trail out. I don't know. Maybe he's using it to um, to put his tent up real quick. You know, you shove it in the door and. Well, or at minimum, <laughs> fill up his um his ear his ear mattress every night for sure. There you go. <laughs> so, all right, and then stomp. So next topic, moving along. So there's a weird guy with a leaf blower on the on the AT. Uh, Musalak Musalaki pronunciation has come up <sighs> on, the, on the Facebook pages. So I think we we established like on episode three that it can be pronounced either way, Musalaki or Musalak. Correct? Yes, I believe so. Yep. All right. So that's easy enough. So moving on. <laughs> yeah, moving on. So the next thing we have here in our notes here is the the search and rescue 10 essentials article that was on Backpacking Magazine. Uh, there is a lady who wrote like a um, a very long essay about how that, that study sucked. So we'll, we'll continue to pound that drum is that New Hampshire Fishing Game does not like that study and they don't want anyone to stop using the 10 essentials. This lady that's a search and rescue um, person down in North Carolina also thinks this, the study sucks and makes, wants to make sure that everybody brings their 10 essentials. My take on this is that you should bring your 10 essentials and then you should also bring a, a splint. So it should be 11 essentials and then Stomp, I don't know if you have any other opinions on this one. No, no. But the consensus in the um, the search and rescue community was definitely that it sort of missed the mark, that first article that came out, a little short-sighted in its approach. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, um, one other update that I have for people is in, over over Christmas break, we talked about saw. We had winter, we had the winter, intro to winter hiking mm-hmm. discussion. And as part of that, we talked about socks. Yeah, and generally when I think of winter or, or anything to do with socks, I always think of like darn tough or smart wool brand socks. I recently picked up over Christmas a new brand called Bombus. Have you guys heard of those Bombus socks? I have not. So I, I I like them. They're very comfortable, but unfortunately, and I beat the shit out of my socks. The they they've got holes in them. So I I got th- three pairs, I think, mm-hmm. and all three pairs within the the last week are all 
they've all got holes in them. Wow. Shabby. Are they just really thin? They're, they're thicker, but they're like a, 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 like a lesser thread count, I think, than darn tough, it feels like. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Have you guys heard of, um, have you heard of the Minus 33 brand? I think that's Northeastern, I was, Northeast was going right? to say that. They're great. Yeah, yeah. They're out of Ashland. They're really good. Good stuff. Yeah. And they're local too. Yeah. That'll be my next next brand then to, to figure out because the Darn Tufts are good, but they do they do wear out eventually. But I'll check out the minus 33. Mm-hmm. So I knew, I knew Dave was going to have an idea. So we've got <laughs> Dave with us. We'll introduce him in a little while, but he's a gear guy. So he's good to good to bounce things off of. What else, Stomp? Well, I was going to say, I just wanted to throw a kink into this this conversation. You know, while I was guiding on the snowmobiles, I realized that socks were less important. And what was more important was room in your shoe for circulation and just to have your boot or your whatever, to have it somewhat baggy and not tight. I, th- I think that actually carries more weight than what socks you're wearing. I 100% agree. I think that if you have, especially if you have 400 thinsulate gram, 400 gram thinsulate boots, mm-hmm. whether you have a midweight or a line of sock or whatever, I do. I think that like having circulation is much more important than the thickness of the the sock. Yeah, yeah. I started over and over again with guests, and then with myself, just trying different combinations. And uh, when you're out there for nine hours blasting around. Definitely makes a difference. You know, I could get away with really thin, no-name wool socks, and just with my, you know, with the space in the boot, it was it was perfect. So, keep that in mind. Yeah, I think the same thing goes with uh, with gloves in the winter as well. Is like mm-hmm. you could have those thin liner gloves, but you don't want too much tightness around your your glove system either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as a climber, Dave, I'm sure you've had the uh, the screaming barfies. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good example. <laughs> it's a harsh lesson on like gloves and quality of gloves. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and I've got like a bit of the the rayon syndrome. I thought it's pronounced Raynaud's. right. Like your hands get cold. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I went, I, I've got like 30 pairs of gloves or something crazy because I just kept searching for the right ones. They're hard to they're hard to find. Yeah, yeah. I've actually transitioned over. I used to just always rely on just the thin liner gloves, and then I have like these like wool mittens, and then I have the heavy shells. But more and more, I've been relying on those like war, those leather work gloves. I just throw those on for most of the hike, and those things are awesome. But I, I usually I you got thirty. I've I usually bring like thirty pairs with me when I'm on a hike. Unfortunately. <laughs> Are you talking about those hardware store, like leather gloves? Yeah, but they actually have, I think mine are, um, they may be Eddie Bauer brand. I don't even know what they, like they're, they're, um, yeah, but exactly. They're like that yellow leather work gloves you, I use quite a bit. Yeah. But some other updates here, Stomp, and then we'll get to the intro is, um, I missed the Mount Washington lottery this year. I can't believe that. I totally forgot about it. So you missed it. Like it closed. Yeah, I think I th- and again I'm horrible with email at this point, but I think it just like can't, it it opened up and then I got covid and I was dealing with all that stuff and I just totally missed it. So, but the good news is is that my my wife's cousin's husband, so basically my cousin got into the race, so I'm still going to like probably hike up there and, and be the support team for him. Oh, yeah, sure. 
Absolutely. Was it his uh, first time? It'll be his first time. So he messaged me and he was like, you, you got yeah. any advice? So, gotta, gotta support him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what else? We got a couple of notes here, Stomp. So you have a whiteout Sunday. You said you had a weird. Oh, do you, don't you remember that? Oh, did you guys situation? get that in mass? Um, about a week ago, it was Sunday. We had um, all of our phones went off with an emergency override uh, for a band of squalls that traveled through um, from the west, and they hit in the afternoon that Sunday, and it was just unbelievable, just complete whiteout. But what was really eerie about it was that it coincided with a similar event maybe a year ago where that fellow was up on Musalak, Musalake, and he got hit. He got hit with squalls and ended up getting lost and diving down into uh, Gorge Brook. And uh, poor guy ended up uh, dying down there. Do you recall that? That was about a year ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, it was so eerie. Also. Yeah, yeah. I, was on, I was on my phone talking to people like, is this a little strange this is happening <laughs> right now? It's very strange. But anyway. Always quiet, thankfully. Yeah, no, we didn't get we didn't get in any of that weather down here. So yeah, I did see some video though. It it, it does get crazy when you get those squalls. Um, yeah, it was amazing, complete whiteout. All right, stop. So anything else before we do uh, sponsor and coffee talk? No, man. We have a lot of donations actually, so we might as well get to it. So we have chocolate starfish donated one. Um. And Starfish, thanks for all the, the guest suggestions. Much appreciated. PC Hiker donated too. And this is uh, somebody that's related to Reckless. Thank you. Uh, quote, unquote, someone who we know now is Shandy. Thank you. She uh, donated three. Raz donated five. Uh, Daniel Lenotti donated five. And then Stacy T donated five. That's quite a busy buy me a coffee week. So thank you very much, everybody. Really appreciate it. And of course, we want to thank Reckless, where you'll find the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the five corners. Moving on. All right, here we go. So welcome to episode 49 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we are joined by our friend Dave Dillon. Say hello, Dave. Hello. All right. Dave runs a successful YouTube <laughs> channel and podcast called Chase the Summit, where he highlights trail and ultra running, hiking, climbing, fitness tech, and a variety of other topics, including beer. Um, so hopefully he brought some something good tonight. So uh, we have a bunch of questions to cover with Dave about gear, running, and hiking tech. Um, and then later in the show, in preparation for shoulder season, so we talked a little bit about that yesterday in warmer weather, Stomp is going to give us an overview of the, the forest roads of New Hampshire and talk a little bit about uh, access roads when they open and a little bit about like highlighting some of his favorite roads. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All righty. Let's get rolling. So beer talk. What are you drinking, Stomp? Oh, just a little boxed sangria. Only the best out of a box. <laughs> <laughs> and you? Stomp doesn't never, Stomp never understands the assignment. Like this is the section of the show where we talk about beer and he's always like, oh, I brought a sangria or I brought, my mom made me a margarita or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. I'm the hard liquor wine guy, I guess. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're the aristocrat. So anything for you, Dave? You got any, anything good tonight? Well, I hate to disappoint, but I've got a... Uh, uh, 100% natural polar seltzer over here. Okay. Oh. So 
I did enjoy your Good episode stuff. a little while back with the uh, hot toddies you guys were talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was listening to that one. It reminded me of hot toddies and that I need to try that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it broke the fever, the COVID fever. So it's highly recommended for anybody out there. Dr. Stomp says, try a hot toddy. <laughs> Medically proven. <laughs> Exactly. So, and I'm just uh, I'm going with the same thing I had. Like, um, I think we recorded a show like over a week ago now, and I've got Wheel Watcher um, Dry Hopped Session IPA from Stellwagen Beer Company. So uh, this thing's been sitting in my fridge. So I finally finished the four pack. It took me like three weeks. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. Now, were you a big drinker, Dave, or do you you usually just uh, drink the seltzer stuff? Uh, You know, on weekends I. I I have a few beverages on the week. I try to cut back a little bit, but uh, I should have brought one tonight. I'm kicking myself now that I saw your can. I should have brought, I've got a fridge full at home and I, I didn't bring it with me. So, oh, no bummer. Problem. <laughs> no problem. So, awesome. So, um, recent hikes is our next topic. Stop. You getting anything uh, Anything good? Well, I've just been uh, doing some backcountry snowboarding. I, I tackled those, those dicky ledges, which is pretty cool um just hiked up it was really funny it's like um i was originally planning on going up welch and then hitting some bootleg trails or abandoned trails that come back down but the water crossing was pretty much uncrossable and i just wasn't in the mood to go bushwhack up half a mile to get across the water so i ended up going up dicky plan to pass past the ledges there's that massive expanse of granite and uh just did some snowboarding up there it was super cool um, let's see. I, I just did Tenny Mountain. Anybody remember Tenny? It's closed. It's been closed. It's up in Plymouth, but, uh, has the windmills yeah, yeah, on top. Yeah. And, um, so I, I snowshoot up to the top. Oh, this is a great story. Actually. I snowshoot up at the top, get to the top and I start strapping in and my back binding is broken. So I'm like, Oh shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> It's like dashes. I couldn't believe it. So I, you know, I strapped in my toes, my rear foot, but I had no ankle support. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it was, it was knee-deep powder for the, the whole way down. So that, that was a blessing in a sense. But um, it was still sort of a shit show getting back down. Uh, powder's hard enough as it is. I'm not much of a powder uh, skier or snowboarder. It's just because I just haven't been exposed to it. I mean, when you grow up in the Northeast, it's all packed powder and everything else, uh, granular stuff. So powder is really interesting. So yeah, could you, the board's in could the trash. you just zip tie a fix on that or is it just too much torque? I, you know, Mike, that crossed my mind, but at that point I was cold and I was wet and I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to see what happens. And I just bolted. So I just made my way down. I had it. I had it in my pack. And it, that's another funny angle on this, too, because I had 30 pounds on my back. So I had my backpack, all my winter gear, my snowshoes strapped on my back. So that's really weird. You know, trying to find that center of gravity when you're coming downhill in powder is a challenge and a half. Very cool. I, I get to hand it to people that love powder, man. It's, it's not my cup of tea. Yeah, you see those you see those videos all the time about people that are in like powder up to their their waist, and I, I don't know how they. Yeah, I, I just I, I skied like that a couple times, but not not very not frequently enough to sort of know how I found my my center of gravity. Yeah, it's an interesting sensation. Um, it's a little slow for me. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Have you, have you done any powder skiing or anything? So yeah, I'm a pretty I'm I'm a I'm a newbie to skiing and. Uh, I'm I'm big on backcountry, so I went to a resort like twice, and then I was like, I'm good enough to go backcountry skiing, 
<laughs> and so my buddy and I went up to, you, you ever been to uh, Crescent Ridge? It's one of those granite um, backcountry areas in New Hampshire, okay. like way up north. Uh, yeah. And so he's like, yeah, you'll be fine, man. You just, you know, we'll, we'll skin up and then we'll see what happens going down. And he took me through these gnarly glades in like three feet of powder. <laughs> Uh-huh. And it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done, <laughs> but yeah. I survived. So it was a lesson learned on my head. Well, I think a big factor is the, the grade. So how steep are these um, areas up in northern New Hampshire? Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty steep, but the powder, yeah. like you said, I don't have like real wide skis. I got, I bought them on Craigslist for cheap money and yeah. um, they were barely keeping me afloat. And I had a heavy bag on with, you know, a bunch of layers and stuff. So like you said, it was hard to find that like point where you've got balance while you're on the powder especially when you're going downhill through the glades and stuff oh yeah so yeah i'm yeah. i'm no pro and i do not recommend what i did but um huh. i'm kind of the uh zero to 100 kind of guy so yeah huh. <laughs> so so when you went backcountry just i'm just curious because i had so much crap in my pack do you, do you take a pack yeah we had packs um we had radios helmets had the whole thing uh, yeah, layers, water, food, you know, because it was a pretty, it was a pretty long ski, uh, skin up. Yeah. I don't know, a few miles at least. Okay. Um, and it was cold out that day, so it was worth having the extra stuff. Well, it's like one, one funny comment about having a heavy pack. If you fall, like, which I did once or twice, I fell on my ass and I couldn't get back up because my pack was so heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like a beast whale. I had to turn around onto my stomach and push myself up. <laughs> It's like a turtle, turtle flipped over on his shell. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Too funny. You did have some good video off of the Dickey Ledges. So so you did the Welsh Dickey snowboarding and Tenny. You got anything else planned for that's, coming up? That's to it for me. I, you know, it's like I was trying to get up to Jefferson, Caps Ridge by snowmobile so I could tackle Caps Ridge. But dude, the snow season is over. It is just, we actually ran a tour Saturday morning and it was in the rain. This, this poor family of five shows up and I take them out for two hours, take them up over the notch and, and in and around uh, Mitten Mountain and, you know, Cotton and all that. And uh, it was just bare ice everywhere. It was a weird moment too. It was like, you know, as a guide, it was not safe for people. So I'm so glad they just shut it down and the next day the state shut it down. So, I mean, we're expecting eight inches of snow this weekend, believe it or not, but it's not going to be enough, in my opinion, to get a base back for snowmobiles. I'd be amazed if it was, but I'm hoping because it's a friggin' blast. But yeah, man, it's it's just pure ice out there. Pure ice. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Hiking and trails was, everywhere. Yeah. And I was planning on going out on Sunday and then I bailed just because it was like the weather was supposed to be crappy. And then it ended up being like, it was like 65, 60 degrees here in oh, Massachusetts. Yeah. So we, we took, took a nice walk along the water in Newburyport, but I was kind of kicking myself. But I'm going out on f- so the day that this show is released, I'll be, I'll be hiking, and I think I'm going to get back up to the, the northern Prezies. I've got either that or potentially a Prezi traverse on Friday. So, gotcha. working on working on that. But I got to keep an eye on see what the weather's going doing. Yeah, I'm getting out soon too. Keep me posted when you go out. Yeah, I'll let you know. So cool. But what about you, Dave? Have you been? Uh, you do any? Have you been doing any hiking? You you lead like a super busy life. You have like all these little kids, right? Yeah, I have a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> sort of like uh, that's sort of like a, a, a incompatible with getting out and hiking a lot, right? You know, you know, Mike. It's been a real rough. I don't know. I want. I don't want to say year because it's still early in the year, but the pandemic yeah. to now. 
I really wasn't going up north much. Climbing like during the pandemic was pretty much impossible because you're mm-hmm. tied to somebody. <laughs> so that, that yep. doesn't work unless you're like, you know, uh, in a roommate with that person or something, which I'm not. So I haven't climbed in a long time. Hiking, I've been kind of, I don't like shoulder season that much. So I've been staying close to home. I go to the Middlesex Fells here in Massachusetts a lot. I go to um, uh, with Mount Wetatic out mm-hmm. in, what is that, uh, Ashburnham, Mass. That kind of goes into New Hampshire too. But yeah, I've been staying local. I haven't really been up to the Whites at all in a while. Yeah, well, it's tough. I remember when my kids were little, it was tough. Like we got out and we did like those small hikes and it took a lot of a lot of time to get get to the point where I had some free time. But I actually, you know what? You just reminded me of something I wanted to ask you. So, Stomp, I don't know if you've ever heard the story about Dave, but and I totally forgot about that. I didn't even put this in the script and I can't believe I forgot about this. So Dave is a, a runner, so we know each other from like we ran the Chikora race, which we'll talk about a little bit. But mm-hmm. you, it's so Dave, you sort of like, and I know you through social media, but I, you know, we're not tight friends or anything. But like, my observation for, is that you progress from like hiking and then you were way into ice climbing and climbing, and then you got more and more into ultra running. But Stomp, this this is a crazy story. So I, I'm into running as well. So I sort of like would pay attention on his Facebook page and stuff. And he would be out trail running. And I think you would go to Harold Parker a lot. And you would go to like the Middlesex Fells. Dave got attacked by an owl. <laughs> yep. He like legitimately got attacked by an owl in the Fells. And like it's crazy because huh. there was a little kid that got attacked like a year before that. And I think there's like this killer, like vicious owl that is in the the Middlesex Fell. So can you t- can you talk about that story, Dave? Like, yeah. I think that's a crazy story. Yeah, that was uh, really bizarre. I was running solo that day. It was I want to say it was like July or something. Mm-hmm. I had earbuds in because it's a trail I know really well, and um, you know it's a really well traveled, high traffic trail. That place is mobbed typically. Yep. And I'm, I'm just cruising through there, listening to my music. And out of nowhere, I feel like a, like a thud on my back. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, oh, it's, it's one of my friends. Somebody I know is trying to get my attention because I had earbuds in. And I turn around to this freaking giant <laughs> bird. <laughs> like, it's got its claws out and stuff. And oh, it's man. like flapping its wings. And I can hear it like making all this noise. And my, I mean, I'm going to, let me preface this by saying, first, I screamed like a girl. And I'm by no means a badass in any sense of the word, but my immediate reaction is to punch. So I, I literally punched an owl in the face because it was like attacking me. And then I turned around and just booked it as fast as I could. I ran the hell out of there. Um, And and I was alone, man. And and this thing had huge claws. So I was feeling my head. I'm a bald guy. So I'm feeling my head and it had like, I, I felt scratches and stuff. So I got back to the parking lot and I'm asking this total stranger woman who barely spoke English. I'm like, are there any, is there any blood? Is, do you see anything going on? She's like, no, no, you're good. But I was like totally convinced it like ripped my skin off. But to your point, um, I went on the Facebook group for the trail animal running club. Who's like a club that often runs in that area. And there's like a bunch of stories of this owl attacking people, including that kid that was years ago. And unfortunately that kid got pretty mangled by the, by yeah, the owl. He was in like the ICU and stuff like he, and they didn't know what happened to him. 
for a long time, and it took yeah. him like a while to figure out that it was this owl that was attacking the kid. Oh, it's weird. bizarre because they're they're not known for attacking, but I guess like the I guess the angle, the vantage point, they could think you're prey or something. I don't really know. But it was yeah. uh, definitely a one-of-a-kind situation. I'll, I'll never forget yeah, that. Yeah, it's a crazy story because, I mean, for me, like, I'm, like, in the order of, like, animals that I'm afraid of, I always think of, like, okay, sharks, number one, <laughs> and then, like, alligators and crocodiles down, because I do go down to Florida quite a bit, and then, you know, like beer uh, getting eaten by a beer would be but i wouldn't even put like an owl on the top 10 until i heard your story yeah but that's crazy so it's so funny like you're like i got attacked by an owl and all these trail runners are like oh yeah we know we know about the killer owl i tell you what ever since then uh, like even when i'm road running and i see like a, a falcon or a hawk or something i'm like oh what are you doing you know yeah what's going on up there <laughs> it's making yeah. me nervous <laughs> what a hoot you ever, have you ever heard? Oh, oh Jesus! <laughs> so, Dave, you'll you'll notice Stomp is the king of the dad jokes. Hey, man, dad jokes. I'm all I'm all about the dad jokes. So bring him, bring him on. Nice. All right. Well, okay. So that was a little like unplanned little swerve there, but I did. That's a fascinating story. So if you're ever running. Like keep an eye out for an owl like that. Do you know, did you do any research? Is it because you were in their territory or did they just like look at your shiny head and say, I, I must eat it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation in that fa Facebook group because I actually got a picture of the thing on my, like as I was running away, I was like, no one's going to believe me. I got to get a picture. So I, I turned around and he was still up in a tree, like stalking me and I got a picture of him. But people are saying, oh, you're in its territory. It probably thought you had food or it might've thought you were a rodent or something. No one really knows. Yeah. So just watch out. Yeah. For those yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not a big guy, but you're bigger than a rodent. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah anyway. It's bizarre. All right. So anyway, so that was a little bit of a segue. So now we're going to move into your official interview segment here, Dave. So you ready for this? I am so excited, Mike. So excited. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> it's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. So the way that me and Stomp know Dave is through like social media. When I think I told the story like a couple of weeks ago, when when me and Stomp and Jimmy Chogger got together, like they had added me to like this other Facebook group of people that were hikers, and you just started to get to know people in the community. So I became aware of Dave through, through like Facebook groups, and then. He was, I think at that point, like branching off and getting very into climbing. And he was always, Dave, you were always sort of playing around with like content and video and 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 recording all your crazy adventures. So he would, Dave would put like different videos up about, you know, hiking or, or climbing. And then when Dave got into running, we ended up meeting each other at a a race, um, which is run by Rock Hopper. So we'll talk about Rock Hopper a little bit in, in a minute here, Dave. But, you know, we just got to know each other. And then, you know, me and Stomp started this dumb podcast. And Dave has a YouTube channel that actually gets a ton of views. And it's really, I think, useful for our audience because he covers a lot about, like, hiking tech and and, and running gear and, and different things. So can you, uh, can you introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about your sort of evolution in the outdoors activities that you're, you're involved in? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll just double back to what we were talking about before, how you mentioned like we met through hiking kind of through social media. Um, and then I had a bunch of kids. So 
at the time, I think way back in Facebook, we, I had one kid or maybe no kids. So I was way into hiking. I was trying to knock off the 4,000 footers. I ended up doing that like a year and a half or two years. Um, and then when you have kids, as you guys know, there's no yeah. time anymore. So yeah. what I did was I decided if I wanted to do tr um, hiking, I need to do it faster. So that's kind of what got me into trail running. It really wasn't because I liked trail running. It was because I liked the Pemi loop and I didn't have two days to do it. So I needed to figure out how to do it faster. <laughs> um, so that was really the only, that was like the primary goal in getting into trail running. And then, you know, through that, I ended up finding an affinity for, for winter hiking and then through that, it got me into ice climbing. Um, and then I had more kids and then ice climbing got really scary. So I haven't done that in a little while, but I'm trying to get back into it. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, now I'm at a point where really my whole thing's kind of around content creation um, on YouTube. I do a lot of gear reviews, but I also try to share like motivational stuff, um, you know, because there's a lot of people in my age group that I think are kind of afraid of getting into these sports and hobbies. Um, and I, I try to be somebody who is relatable that people, you know, you can watch my channel and be like, Oh, that's, that's a close to 40 year old guy who's got kids and he's still doing these things. So maybe I can too. And that's kind of the goal behind the YouTube channel other than, you know, hopefully educating about the gear and all the other stuff that comes along with it. So that's yeah, my, yeah. my long winded, 10 second thing about myself. I think it was more than 10 seconds. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I think it, I've got to imagine too, with, you know, you're super passionate about like you go all in on, on, on activities. And now that you've got a slew of little kids that you've got to, uh, to take care of and they've got to be a priority. I'm just imagining like content creation, like you can do it close to home. So it sort of scratches that itch a little bit. Right. Yeah. And I've always had like a creative, I always required a creative outlet. So for a while it was photography and then I got into like video and then I just started sharing like ice climbing and running stuff on Facebook. But then when I brought it to YouTube, I kind of realized there was a whole audience of people out there that were into this sort of thing. And it wasn't just in my Facebook, you know, community. So it was cool yeah. to see, um, it was cool to see it grow and still, still something I'm doing now. So it's pretty exciting. Now, where's your studio? I'm actually, yeah. So this is like a half mile from home. Gotcha. Um, and I, you know, I didn't really need it. We've got like an extra bedroom at, at home, but then we, now we have four kids. So yeah. I ran out of space. I found an affordable spot and it's quiet here, which is the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. No Cause kidding. it's so, so loud with four kids ranging from, you know, five months old to nine. It's, uh, it's like being well, in a wrestling arena every day. <laughs> I don't want to jump the gun, but is your uh, YouTube channel starting to show dividends or what? Yeah. Um, Great. You know, this year, this year has been kind of wild. It's been growing really fast and now there's sponsors and all kinds of stuff. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, I don't know what the future is for it, but it's certainly something. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. Appreciate that. And uh, my wife and I were trolling on your, uh, I think it was Facebook. Uh, Facebook or Instagram and it was a picture of the whole crew sitting on the steps and your wife's holding the sign that says what this sucks was it yeah. the picture that's so yeah. funny I love it it's funny because she she uh she had hired one of her friend for photographers <clears throat> to do like a, a pandemic uh portrait on our yeah. stairs and that oh, sign actually cool. said like 
it said like the Dylans or something. And <clears throat> so I photoshopped it to say this sucks. And she was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I was like, come on, let's be real about this. It's not fun. It's <laughs> yeah. great. Really funny. Well, b- before you know it, they'll, all those little kids will be like teenagers and they won't, won't want anything to do with you. So yeah, enjoy it while they're young. <laughs> oh, so, all right. So, um, yeah, and Stomp, he's got like he he's being modest, but like he's got like YouTube videos that get like half a million views, six hundred thousand views. Like he's got a big audience now. So we're, we're honored to have him. Yeah, that's with that's our, so like, cool with our five listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to be here, guys. I've been listening to a lot of this. It's uh, it's really good stuff. Oh, good. Thanks. Awesome. Cool. It's well, fun. I wanted to start, Dave, with with talking about um, ultra running. So I think that's what you've been into most recently. And, you know, me and you, we, we did that. Um, we, so Rockhopper Races is a race, organ, is an event organizer in New Hampshire that has, I know that they have the Chikora race. They have the Kilkenny Ridge race that they've done. I think they, I don't know if they've done that more than one year. Um, but me and you met at the Chikora race and you know, I've, I've done it one time. I think I may look into signing up again. But um, can you talk a little bit about that race from your perspective, how hard it was? For me, I, like that kicked my ass. It was way too hot to be running on Chikora. <laughs> I was struggling with cramping and, you know, I made it down, but it was, that was a hard race. That was a really, I was surprised with how hard that race was. Um, but it was really cool because it approached that mountain from a different direction. I, do you remember? It was like, it was like snowmobile trails or something. Like, they, they weren't even on a map. That led up to, um, what was the trail there? Was it the Piper? It wasn't the Piper trail. It wasn't Piper. It's off the backside of the mountain. I, I forget the name of the trail, but yeah, you, you basically just go down like dirt roads and it's flat and fast. And then, you know, you hit the, the, the backside of the mountain and it's, it's, it's all up the yeah. whole way, but I forget <laughs> the trail names. Hmm. Yeah. That was a butt kicker though. I remember getting to the top and being like, wow, what was that? You know? Uh, and then going down was equally as hard because the terrain up there was, pretty gnarly for like a quarter of a mile they're like people crawling on top of each other trying to get down <laughs> yeah now was that one of your first mountain races that you ever did i can't remember if that was um that was before kilkenny right yeah that was be- that was definitely before kilkenny but yeah in terms of races i haven't done a lot just because there aren't many in the mountains um the only one i've done aside from that is a race called the way pack and back and that's the Mount Wetatic to Pac-Manadnock, where you turn around and run back. So it's a 25 miles one way, then you turn around and do the whole thing all over again. And it's the whole ridge of that mountain range, but it's not really, it's not up in the whites or anything like that. Definitely a mountain race. Yeah. And Stomp, you would appreciate this like in the beginning. So when they did the race prep for Chikora, this mm-hmm. was, I think, the first time that the Forest Service had approved a um, a race in the White Mountain National Forest like this. Right. And they were literally like begging us, like don't even drop like even the top of a, like a goo wrapper, like don't even drop it on the ground. We don't want to give anybody any chance to like say anything about like leave no trace or, or anything oh, like yeah, that. And I think sure. it, you know, it was only probably a couple hundred people in the race and it spread out pretty quickly. But I I was impressed with the way that they ran the, the, the Chikora race. I, I don't know what they're doing. I'll have to put a link in the show notes, but that was a tough race. And I was like flying on the flat part. So I was like towards the, the front. And then once we got into the ups, Dave passed me about a quarter of the way up. He was like, see you later. 
And that's when I realized I was getting old. Oh man, oh, that, that just the climbing that was rough. I mean, I remember some of the elites there. There was like Ben Nephews, who's like a world-class mountain runner. Yeah. Nate Weeks was there, who's a really incredible runner. And just watching those guys kind of float up that mountain was eye-opening for me because I hadn't seen anything like that before. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's crazy. But um, they also, and then you also did the Kilkenny Ridge race with with uh, with the same crew, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? That was easily the uh, hardest. I don't want to say the hardest ultra I've ever done, but it was really, really hard. I mean, when you think about the Kilkenny Ridge, have have either of you hiked it? Like the whole Kilkenny? Uh, I have. Yeah. So, yeah, like, just imagine getting to the end and turning around and doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was like nice. unreal. And like the, the aid stations for that race were back country. So the, the volunteers hiked up the night before camped out on the Ridge and then they were pumping water for the runners coming through. So it was like, no, and not, I mean, no fault of their own. They didn't really have a lot of food or anything. So you're kind of responsible for having all your own stuff for that entire race. Um, but it was really hard. It took me 14 and a half hours for a 50 miler is like, <laughs> a long time for a 50, but it was, it was a challenging experience, but also really cool to be in like an organized event in the whites. And it was like super adventurous, good weather, um, you know, super challenging. But, but I'd say if you're thinking about it, try it or sign up for the 25 mile version, because that's a little bit easier to swallow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. I did the Kilkenny Ridge on a two day overnight. I, we took our time, but like stomp. I, I don't know if you've been on that, but like talk about the pointless up and downs mm-hmm. going yeah. through the weeks and then going through. Um, you know, once you pass Unknown Pond as well, there's a couple of ups and downs, and then you got to go Rogers Ledge and then out to what is that South Pond. And so you mm-hmm. did 50 miles. So you did 25 miles out and then turned around and ran the whole thing. How long does that take you for, to do 50 miles like that? Yeah. So that race took me like 14 and a half hours. Um, but the winner of that race did it in like 12 and a half, I want to say. Um, but yeah, I mean for 50, my PR at a 50 is eight 15 or something like that. So almost double (laughs) what my my record, what my personal best is. So that just speaks to how hard that terrain was. It it was unreal, but like some of the lesser known areas of the whites up there. And like you said, the weeks and, and in there, there's so many, uh, beautiful areas that no one ever sees because, everybody who attempts that trail is either doing Wombeck or Cabot and those are on either end of the trail. Right. So you don't really get to see everything in between and there's a lot going on in there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, it's like this ferns up to your shoulders. When you go through the weeks, it's just crazy, but it's, I forget the name of that notch. Is it Willard notch or something like that? Like that's got awesome camping down there. And then, you know, the, the, the section past, the horn and unknown pond as you approach Rogers ledge, like that whole area, there's got these bog bridges and little ponds. It's like, it's amazing. It's like the quintessential, like New Hampshire image. You think where you'd see a moose. I always think I'm going to see a moose when I'm around unknown pond, but I haven't seen one yet. You know what they are? That kind of area. That campsite at the very high point, the last campsite at the very top is where they are. They congregate there. There's this moose scat everywhere. Are you talking about like on the unknown pond trail up near the, the is there's a campsite up there? Is there, there talking is. About? Yeah. Yep. There's a privy there, a bunch of sites, unknown pond. Yeah. Right there. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that would be the spot, but I've been up there like four times and I still haven't seen a moose up there. 
<laughs> Elusive beasts. Someday. Someday so, it'll happen. Stomp, are you, are you saying I shouldn't, I shouldn't take my water out of Unknown Pond? Oh, man, that's actually a good point. Yeah, probably not. Definitely filter. Oh, great. Too late. <laughs> Everybody Too late. does. Everybody does get their water right there as they continue on. Yeah, yeah. Too yeah. funny. No, I, I filtered anyway. So, Dave, are you still running? Like, do you, um, do you find that you're... I mean, I know for me running, like, I'm sort of at the point now where, like, I run just to stay in shape and I'm not going to push myself. I don't want to risk injury. But yeah. can you talk a little bit about, like, do you, how do you stay motivated and balance running with sort of all the other stuff that you need to do in life? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of all I do now. Like like I said, I haven't really been climbing too much. It's a pretty big bummer because, A, that's a really hard skill to acquire. Um, and I'm, I feel like I'm going to start to get rusty if I don't use it soon. Uh, mm. but I just, I've got four kids. I got a baby in the house and I live in Massachusetts. So really <laughs> running is what I got and I'm training up for, uh, I got a couple of hundred milers on the calendar this summer and probably a couple of 50 milers. I'm not really sure yet. So there's some motivation, you know, I, it's funny. The YouTube channel is like one source of that because it kind of holds me accountable. Like if I'm speaking about fitness tech and all these all the gear that you need to do these things, I have to go use it. Right. Or else, <laughs> or else I'm not, I'm not a credible source of like telling you what it's all about. So I've found it's been good motivation to have kind of, you know, 50,000 eyeballs potentially looking at a video that I'm posting. Um, and that keeps me motivated to get out the door and put the shoes on. But like I said, I haven't been up to the mountains enough. I'm definitely going to need to get back into it. I think the baby's getting a little older now but I'm going to wait till shoulder season's over, probably fire up in uh, May or something like that. Start mm. heading back North. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, good call. I know when my kids were little, like my favorite place to take them was that square ledge right across from Pinkham's notch. You know, that's like the, the rock climbing. Is oh right yeah. There, you can take the kids. Awesome area to take them. Cause it's like a short hike, but it's like all the, you get the huge bang for your buck because you're looking at Huntington ravine and all. And the Gulf of Slides and all that. So it's good stuff. Yeah. We've, we've only done some really small ones like, um, the Glen Ellis falls, that little yep. thing. We took the whole family down there. They thought that was super cool, but yeah, I, I got to get my nine year old up there to do some more serious things. Cause that kid has unlimited energy. So he should be able to do a 4,000 footer at this point. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. Cool. Um, so just transitioning into talking a little bit more about the hiking and climbing piece of it. So, so Stomp, one thing, do you remember when we talked about how, you know, when me, you and Jimmy went hiking that first time and we were sort of all faking it until we made it, like we weren't really that experienced. Mm -hmm. So when we get to know Dave over social media, like I sort of felt like, all right, this guy's like experience and he's got a lot of knowledge and, you know, he was doing a lot of climbing stuff. And then I remember there was a thread where, and Dave, I don't know if you even remember this, but I put this in the notes. I remember you posting the, like a bunch of pictures of you and your friends. And I don't know like how old you were on this, but it like, it was like such an epiphany for me. And it's weird how like, I rem you know, I don't remember much, but I vividly remember this. And I'm like, so Dave, what Dave did stomp is he, he posted a bunch of pictures of him and his friends. And I think he was wearing like jeans and like a Metallica t-shirt and like him and his friends decided they were going to go hiking or camping 
And I think it was like isolation or Rocky Branch that you guys might have might have been on. And he's posting all these pictures of them. They were like bottles of Jack Daniels. He's got like a Rambo knife that's like probably <laughs> like the size of a sword. And it was sort of like an epiphany where he was sort of talking about how you know, his first time he was so clueless and they went with a bunch of friends and they carried in all this like useless stuff that they didn't need. And yeah. I was sort of like, everybody starts somewhere. Oh, and yeah. this guy has transitioned into like sort of being an expert on, on, you know, hiking and climbing and all this stuff. So it was, <laughs> it, that's, story has always stuck with me, Dave. That's hilarious. Yeah, that was um, our first hike ever. We, we got the White Mountain uh, book, you know, and... I was like, I want to find the most remote mountain for us to go hike. We knew nothing about it. Didn't know what we were doing at all. And we we're like, Mount Isolation. That sounds super cool. <laughs> <laughs> only by the name. That's the only reason we did it. And my buddy had a, he had a 20-pound L.L. Bean tent in his bag. That was like one of the, the types he'd put up in your yard. Not meant for hiking <laughs> at all. We had like huge knives. We had like bottles of Jack Daniels. Um, yeah, every mistake possible. Cotton clothes, everything was cotton. We tried to uh, forge the river there uh, on the Rocky Branch Trail. It was all bad news, but we ended up turning around at Engine Hill. That's like, I don't know, three and a half miles in or something like that. <laughs> Live and learn. Yeah. And side note, those the two guys that were with me for that trip absolutely hated hiking after that, I, I couldn't get them to do it again because of how miserable they were during that whole trip. So it was like, for me, it was like an epiphany. It was like, oh, this is the bug. I'm in. I love this. For them, they're like, no more. We're done. We're done now. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It is so funny like that. Um, and you would never imagine like from, you know, that's where your starting point is, is like just going out there with like the the five person LL Bean 20 pound tent. And now you're, you know, you get your own. YouTube channel that's got like a lot of eyes on it. So that's just sort of a reminder. I, I, I love that story because in highlighting it for our audience, because everybody sort of feels like, you know, they don't know what, what the hell they're doing. And they're like too shy to like ask questions sometimes. And like, it doesn't take that much effort to do the research. And I think your, your channel is a great place for people to go to sort of learn about a lot of different topics that we'll get into. But um, just keeping on the hiking and climbing um, piece of it for a few minutes here. So you've done the 4,000 footers. Um, you've done the Pemi Loop a couple of times. Um, anything else as far as like highlight hiking activities that you've been involved in related to the whites? I mean, I feel like ever since ever since I finished the, uh, the list, I just kind of do the fun ones. So every summer I try to do a Pemi Loop, a Prezi, I like to do the uh, Franconia Ridge Traverse going up from Ossipee down to the Skookumchuck. Like that whole stretch is a, is a, a lot of fun. The the Canon Kinsman Loop. Osseo. Osseo to... Scoop. Yeah, that's it. That's right. Yeah, Not yeah, Ossipee. Yeah. Osseo, yeah. Um, yeah be a, that Ossi would be an ultra. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that'd be quite, a, quite a distance. <laughs> up over the kank. <laughs> I think that stretch is like, I don't know, 14 miles or something, but I just love that whole stretch. And if you can get a car spot by the Skookum Chuck to get back to the Lincoln Woods trail, it's yeah. a pretty, pretty awesome day. Um, but yeah, I, you know, other than that, I just kind of, I keep doing the same thing. I love the Hancocks. I, I heard your episode about that the other day. Um, I've done the Hancocks like, I don't know, like 12, 13 times now <laughs> because Jeez. they're, I don't, I don't know what it is about them. They're just like, 
there's that runnable section that's so flat and yeah, kind of good warm up. up until you hit that point. That's like a wall basically. And it's just straight up for, you know, however it is to get, to get to the top. But I just love that loop, even though there's not really a ton of views. Um, you know, it's just out there. I enjoy it. Mm. Yeah. No, I love the I love the Hancock's exactly. You're right. You can just bang that first three miles out so quickly. It's It's great when you're running it. So that's one of the reasons I actually love, I'm one of the rare people that actually likes Lincoln Woods because you can just get, get it, uh, get it out of the way pretty quickly. But oh no, most people no, like no, <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. I like hanging that out quick. But um, the other thing about climbing is, so Dave, you have a pretty well, um, uh, it's, it's, and I'll include it in the show notes here, but like you had a crazy experience on Huntington Ravine where you had to bail out because the, the conditions were just insane to the point where, and I'll, I'll include this video in the show notes, but like to the point where it's amazing that you guys even made it as far as you did on, on Huntington, um, in those conditions. But can you talk a little bit about that? That that's gotta be like the craziest climbing situation you've ever been in, right? Yeah, I mean, that was hands down the worst uh, weather I've ever experienced firsthand. And, you know, I've been on Washington a bunch of times in the winter. Um, I've I've felt, you know, 89, 90 mile per hour winds on Moose Lock before. But man, that day was, uh, you know, like you, you, you think a lot of times you're like, oh, that must have been a 50 mile per hour gust, right? when you feel something that's like a strong wind, but until you actually experience like an 80 mile per hour gust, it, it, it puts everything else in perspective because yeah. that day we were, we were getting blown off our feet. Um, you know, we were halfway up the head wall to Odell's gully in Huntington tied together with a rope and we were getting ripped off of the snow because the wind was scooping through Huntington and literally like pulling us off, pulling us off as if to like throw us back into the bottom of the bowl. So it was like, that's scary. Nothing I've ever experienced be before. And we knew it, you know, like it was kind of a dumb move, I, I admit, but we kind of had this, we, we basically said, let's walk up to the base of Odell's. And if it gets like way, if it's way too bad, we'll just turn around. But even that just hiking up to the base was pretty sketchy. And I couldn't see my partner who was only, you know, 10 feet away from me. It was like full whiteout conditions, 80 mile per hour gusts and so loud, you know, you couldn't yell to each other. It was just wild. Totally crazy. Were you nervous? Oh yeah. <laughs> were you, were, yeah. Okay. Super nervous. <laughs> or were you confident that you could get out of it? So there was another party, another climbing party above us. Uh, yeah. It was actually a guy I know, uh, Zach St. Jules. He's a pretty well-known ice climber in the Mount Washington Valley, but he, he bailed off uh, Odell's from about a hundred feet above us. And I didn't know he was up there. Um, and by the time we made the decision to get out, he was repelling down, yeah. but the wind was so strong that he was repelling sideways. <laughs> okay. It was like his anchor was up here and his ropes going sideways and he's just kind of diagonally coming down. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty convinced that if we tried, I don't know if it would have been the weather that would have hurt us, but the wind in conjunction with being tying knots and doing technical climbing with ice screws and everything. It was just a mixture for disaster, especially at the time I wasn't like a really skilled climber. So I was like way outside my comfort zone. And I was really relying on my partner who had more experience than me, but still not a ton. So yeah. it was pretty unanimous. And we were like, let's just get the hell out of here. This is no, no good. Now, did you have a, like a forecast going into this or was this yeah. out of the blue? No, uh, we, we knew the weather, 
so the weather leading up to it was pretty flip flop. It was like, yeah, the higher summits forecast was the day before saying it was going to be kind of mild. Then it closer to the evening it started to get worse. And the, the, the forecast said the winds were going to get higher, but then it was, it said it was like a North northeasterly wind. So we thought we'd be pretty protected in the bowl yeah. at Huntington. Um, so we thought worst case, maybe we don't hike out on the Alpine garden. We repelled back down and we just hike out through Huntington, um, back out to Pinkham. Mm-hmm. So that was the plan. You know, let's skip Alpine garden. Cause it's going to be blasting up there. Let's just repel back down and get out. Um, but even that we just couldn't do it cause it, the wind was coming down the, just dropping right into the bowl and kind of scooping back out the other side. So it was really, and it was just constant. It wasn't like gusts. It was like a constant force, <laughs> you know, just pretty wild. I, I have a YouTube video up. I had a helmet cam on that day. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely insane. I don't plan on doing that. You know, it's like that risk at the time I had one kid and with every kid that got added, like my, my perspective of risk totally changes. So I'm at a point now where it's like, if there's, if that was the same conditions and I was planning to climb tomorrow, I'd probably just call my buddy and be like, no, it's, it's reschedule. But at the time we, we went for it, especially yeah. after a three, th- three hour car ride, you know, you're, you're kind of committed. <laughs> yeah. And I think to the, the, the sort of been there, done that, um, dynamic happens quite a bit. Like I'm not, you know, cause I bailed on the Northern presidential presidentials like a couple of weeks ago, I was going to do Madison and Adams and like at this point now it's like, if it's even a little bit of a sketchy situation, especially if I'm going solo, like I don't even lose any sleep. I'll just change plans to like a, what I perceive to be a safer, of course, I ended up doing a crazier, a crazier hike, but um, yeah, I guess it's like the, with experience, that is the one thing about experiences that I think most people sort of know, like, okay, well, even, even though um, I probably have the skills to do it, like why take the risk? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there was some allure to seeing the weather, like both the, my partner and I, we were in, we're into that, like, wow, look at that crazy wind, you know? Um but I guess we didn't really understand the gravity of the situation until we were, you know, neck deep in it, tied to Odell's gully and not being able to see anything around us. So at that point it became a little scary and so we backed off. Yeah. How long does it take you? So you, you had to hike back down to Pinkham? Yeah. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of good, good, you like talking the whole way back being like, I can't believe we just survived that. This is crazy. Yeah, no, it was wild. And there were a couple of other uh, climbing parties up there too that, and everyone bailed. So it was like a group of people um, heading back down. We all stopped at Harvard cabin to like debrief and everyone kind of just talked about what the hell just happened. Um, And funny, the uh, Harvard cabin caretaker was like, oh good, there's a bunch of people here. Everyone carry a a log down to get the firewood in the, so for about 25 minutes, we all carried wood into Harvard cabin and we just kind of talked about what happened. Up on the nice, up on the wall. It's pretty crazy. Very cool. So <laughs> you've got the so now at this point right now you're sort of focused on the running. You've got the YouTube channel, the climbing and hiking stuff. Like we'll get you back out this summer. We'll figure out a a guys weekend or something that you can get out there. But um, at this point right now with the focus with the YouTube channel and you also have a podcast that goes along with this. So can you describe a little bit um, the you know, I gave an intro, but can you describe the theme of the, the, the YouTube channel and then talk a little bit about the podcast? 
Yeah, so uh, the YouTube channel Chase the Summit is really, it started as a written blog on my website where I would, you know, I got, I'm a nerd and I love the tech, GPS watches, you know, PLBs and beacons, shoes, hiking boots, whatever. So on my blog, I was writing a lot and no one was really reading it, but I was, I was just so motivated to share my thoughts about these things that I kept writing. And then one day I was like, I'm going to try making a video about, I think it was the Garmin 935 or something like that. It was one of the watches from a couple of years ago. And when I put that on YouTube, it got like 10,000 views or something in the first week. And I was like, whoa, that's different. That's a lot more than I'm used to on my website. So I just started building on that and kept doing video um, reviews about gear. Then I kind of led into my story about being a dad and ultra running and, you know, the struggle and in, in everything going to races and sharing the race environment. Um, so it's a little bit of everything right now. I, I try to keep it pretty diverse. I don't want to just shoehorn myself into like doing all gear reviews because there's a lot of websites out there and YouTube channels like that. So I try to have like a personal share my personal story along with that. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, the, the podcast though, it kind of came secondary to that. I love talking to the community and it was, it was a way of connecting more with other people, but I found that I just don't have like enough time to do YouTube and the podcast. So I've been struggling to get the podcast going. Um, but I'm going to start focusing on it more. I've got like a, a list of guests I want to start bringing in. Um, but like, I'm sure you guys know it's, it's so hard to like the editing, the planning, you, you guys do a great job. Like your scripting and everything is pretty impressive. So I'm going to take notes from your podcast. <laughs> uh, sure. Sure. Well, uh, you can have the, the script format. Feel free. Yeah. Mike does all the scripting. <laughs> it's very organized. I do all the audio. So you're dealing mostly with video with audio embedded. Is that what you're generally doing or is it? Yeah. What? So yeah, this is my little YouTube or oh, people can't see this cause they're listening, but um, this is my little YouTube studio space. So I've got like an overhead camera above me, ah. got a camera in front of me. And so I've got like a camera switcher. So if I'm doing like a gear review, I can show a watch and then I can zoom in really close on it and oh, show, gotcha. do a tutorial on it or like show a certain part of a shoe or whatever, you know, and just kind of do like educational slash entertainment content. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. That's fun. You know, it's like everyone needs, I feel like I'm like almost 40. So I, I need this creative outlet. And I feel like as you get older, like it's frowned upon to be creative. Like you're just supposed to go to work or whatever. So this is my outlet here is to <laughs> just, you know, I let loose here. And, and oh, it's super important. Uh, yeah. And w like when I first started doing it, my wife laughed at me and stuff, but I'm at a point now where it's just like, it's my thing. So everyone knows about it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, And there's definitely a market for it. Like in, a, in, I, I've always been sort of a gear geek as well. I've never like, I don't go too crazy. Like I, I, I just tend to like, when I know I want some, like I, I've gotten into bike, you know, smart trainers for bikes and, and garments and things like that. And I spend a ton of time sort of researching and making this, this decision on purchasing. And I think the go-to person in the gear sort of content world is the the oh, the website is DC Rainmaker. So I was always aware of DC Rainmaker and I would go there more for cycling when I was into cycling a little bit more. Uh, but like obviously like he's 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 big into like sort of the you know reviews for wearables and, and stuff like that. So it was interesting when I was looking at your podcast like that so you were able to interview 
the guy that is the founder of DC Rainmaker, which like Stomp, I don't know if you've ever heard of this site, but like this guy is like huge. Like he is the the Dixie of like gear and, te- <laughs> and, and tech. You know, uh-huh. he's not so much a hiking person, but he's more of just sort of general gear. So you were able to interview him as your first podcast guest? Yeah, I tried to like start it with a bang and, you know, maybe um, gain some traction with like a really good guest up front. That was my mistake because I had so many technical difficulties leading into that <laughs> with like the whole video set up. And there was like an audio delay that really, I thought, ruined the show. But a lot of people liked it. Um, Ray, though, from DC Rainmaker, he's a great guy. We got to talking on Instagram a while back, and obviously we're in the same niche on YouTube. He's got a, a really successful YouTube channel. And when these products come out, like from Garmin or any other brand, um, we get, you know, there's a select group of people that get like advanced um, samples to test out before they're out to the public. So we kind of became aware of each other because we were kind of floating in that circle together. Um, and so we ended up talking a lot through Instagram. And yeah, eventually I was just like, Hey man, let's have it. Let's, you know, make a formal conversation on the podcast. And he was super, um, polite and said yes and spent two hours talking to me. So I really appreciated that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's very cool. And I think, you know, for me, like I spent a lot of time on his site, um, trying to figure out the garment. So I had already bought, uh, like a, a, a watch that would track my GPS and everything. But I do watch some of your videos around like the latest and greatest. But the thing about like these watches is that, uh, you know, I'm probably three and a half, four years in on mine and the battery life is awesome. And it's, I don't feel like I have the need for a new watch at this point, but can you talk a little bit about your sort of for the average hiker who listens to this show there's certain things that I think most people would want is like, you know, you need a good battery life. You got to track your GPS. You want to know your altitude barometer. Um, I don't know. Can, can you talk a little bit about your thoughts around like for a, a hiking watch that tracks everything you need for, for um, the activity? Like what, what are your recommendations or thoughts across the, the market right now? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people buy, to your point, a lot of people end up buying a lot more than they need. And I get these questions a lot in the YouTube comments. I even get emails and Instagram DMs like, hey, man, I really want that Garmin Phoenix 7, but it's $1,000. But, you know, it looks really cool. And I think the first the first thing I would tell people or the first thing I do p- tell people, especially in person, like my own wife asks me all the time, like, what do I get? You know, um, I, I try to tell people to recognize what they actually need and then go shopping. So if you want navigation, if you want the mapping on board and all that stuff, you're going to spend considerably more than somebody who just has more of a basic GPS tracker. So I think a a really uh, happy medium for like, if we want to talk hiking, like a good, solid, affordable option is the Garmin Instinct 2 that just came out a little while ago. Uh, It's built tough. It's rated for freeze and shock resistance, waterproof, and it's got built-in navigation so you can load a course on it. Like you can put the the PEMI loop in it, follow that course. It'll buzz and let you know if you go off course. Um, And it's like 400 bucks, but there's even cheaper options down to like 200 bucks from Garmin. And then there's like these new companies like Koros that's kind of hit the scene uh, a couple of years ago, they're, they've been making huge strides, especially in like the ultra running and trail running community. But I think even in the hiking community now, they're starting to make their way in there. So 
what I tell a lot of people now is if like you're, if you go to a store like REI or something and you're shopping around, it's really hard to buy a bad GPS watch. <laughs> like they're all really good, but you'll end up spending, a lot of people end up spending more on a really high end device and then end up using like 10% of it. So just, you know, recognize what you need before you go shopping. That's really the best advice I can give. Yeah. yeah. I guess the one peril that I've seen people run into, uh, and again, for the most part, like I would say, like with the Apple watches and then with the lower end garments is that scenario where you're like, okay, I'm going on a long hike and it's going to be 12, 14 miles and you're using the GPS. And I do think that people do need to be aware, like if you are going to go out for a long day, you do want to think about battery life. And I feel like in some cases, like the Apple watches and then some of the lower, I don't know about the instinct too. Like I do know like the, my friend had a, a, a lower end Garmin or a less expensive Garmin and he was constantly dealing with battery life issues. So I do wonder, you know, is there sort of a, a line for you as far as like battery life for some of these devices where you would say like, okay, like, I would start with a forerunner and Garmin or above just because, you know, if you're going to do a 10 hour hike or something. Yeah. The, the big change that's happened in the past couple of years is there's um new Sony GPS chips that hit the market and all of the major brands, you know, Sunto, Garmin, Polar, Coros, they all use the same chip and that chip is incredibly power efficient. So the same watch, like for instance, I think last time I saw you, this is how good my memory is. You had a 935 right? I still got it. Yep. You still got it? All right. I so it, yeah. the, the 945, the, the next iteration to that, all they did was switch that GPS chip and it gained 10 more hours of GPS battery life. So it's up to 36 hours. And even the less expensive ones, like there's a $200 Garmin that gets 30 hours. There's a the Coros Pace 2 that's 200 bucks. That gets 30 hours in GPS on time. So really like all the modern day sports watches are pretty good in terms of battery life, but the Apple watch still sucks. <laughs> that one, like you're getting six, seven hours out of an Apple watch. If you've got the GPS running and a lot of people don't realize that because they're used to that, you know, 18 to 20 hour all day battery life that Apple claims. But once you turn on GPS, it really fries that battery. So I, I try to, you know, if you're running marathons, you're road running or whatever, Apple Watch is totally fine. But if you're, like you said, going off grid, you know, you're trying to do a PEMI loop or something and you want something to give you like navigation or whatever, it would probably be good to um, have a more sports oriented watch. Got it. Got it. And then um, as far as brands go, I know we've always, I think I recommend Garmin just because it's the biggest brand. I think you'll find most people, you know, a lot of the hikers have it. So you can sort of get your questions answered. There's a ton of videos, you know, Dave, you've got some great videos comparing the different models, but um, you talked about Koros. There's, what is it? Sun, Sun two as well, or um, what, what other brands? The major players are Garmin, Sunto, Koros and Polar. Um, there's a few others out there, but like that's the, the four that you'll probably see most often on my channel. And from those four, I mean, I like Garmin, but they're easily the most expensive. <laughs> so there's that. Um, the newest to the market is Koros. They came out a couple of years ago. And their big claim to fame is their battery life because their high-end model, get this, you get 145 hours in GPS on time. That's full full on GPS mode. You get like multiple days with that. So 
It's really impressive stuff. Oh, and then what about other tech like, you know, I have here like headlamps and, and like earbuds for running and, and things like that. Like, do you have any sort of recommendations on those? Let me ask you guys, do you, either of you carry an inReach, a Garmin inReach or a Spot um, PLB? I have a Rescue Link PLB. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the gold standard, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, no communication, but it's the it's the uh, the big red button, the help me button. Yeah, and I, I even remember reading somewhere that it's got a more powerful like um, broadcast signal. It's like a five watt instead of the inReach, which is like yeah. a half a watt or something like that because it's meant to you know trigger if you're out to sea or whatever, yeah. whereas the inReaches are a little bit different. Now, as part of a search and rescue team, is there like a benefit to one or the other? Sorry, I'm interviewing you now. <laughs> N- well, are you talking in reference to being a uh, uh, an individual like, in need of search and rescue? Yeah, like if I'm out in the woods and I've got an inReach and a rescue link and I push the SOS button on both, I know on the inReach there's like a middleman, right? There's like Yeah, there is. Yeah, they, it, goes it goes down to, to their, a their dispatch. Head. Right. And then they have to contact the local fishing game and then they contact the, the team. So there's like multiple steps, whereas the rescue link is more of a direct, like, I need help situation. Exactly. But, you know, the problem with the PLB, like a rescue link, is there's no detail. There's a location, but there's no detail. Um, you know, I broke my leg or, you know, you know, at least with the inReach and things like that, you can communicate and give some idea about what's going on. Uh, there is that right. intermediate step but that has not really been a problem for a fishing game yeah i feel like that's a peace of mind for me and a lot of a reason why i bring the inreach because if i break i go solo everywhere i very rarely have a partner with me so the idea of like being able to be like yep my leg's broken please help or like i'm stuck here i'm behind this rock i'm doing this or that the communication aspect seems like a pretty important feature but the rescue link doesn't have a monthly fee, right? That's like a one-time purchase. It's a one-time purchase, and every year they send you a re-registration and a sticker so that you just stick a new sticker on your beacon, um, and the battery lasts for five years. Uh, so I think oh, I'm coming nice. up on one more year, and then I may have to replace the battery. Um, but yeah, the, the mindset's interesting for me because you know Mike can probably attest to this, but we're, we're the people that... Hell no, I'm not calling rescue. So for me, <laughs> the main reason I got the rescue link was because, you know, I'm going to get out by myself no matter what. So I wanted something that would be the last absolute resort. Like I have no other options. There's no other choice. I'm going to press this button. So I didn't need the communication in my mind uh, because yeah. I'm going to get out no matter what. If it <laughs> takes me three days, I'm getting out. <laughs> Save that, save that clip. Stop. <laughs> have you had to, uh, have you either of you used the SOS function on a device like that? No, no. Thankfully. No. I, I got very close once oh. with, with, uh, on Mariah. I had dislocated my knee in February and it was very cold and I was like right on the summit. I slipped and my knee just fully blew out car and it was actually damn like I actually tore the the cartilage on the back of my kneecap kind of flapped over and it kind of screwed up. It was like a wrench in the gears of my knee. Yeah. Um, And like you said, I sat there holding my spot. I had a spot at the time staring at the button. Like (laughs) I can't do, I can't do this. This is not happening. And I was like, no, 
I'm not. So I literally crawled out on my hands and knees from the summit of Mariah to the to my car down the Carter Mariah Trail. There you go. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A couple of people, a couple of people passed me and they're like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Don't it's worry all about good. <laughs> It's just a flesh wound. Oh, <laughs> that's crazy. That's the worst spot to get uh, right on the summit. You get injured. So yeah, I had a little was, episode last week, but uh, huh. not that bad. Yeah, I, saw, I heard that episode. Is up on the Osceolas? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I had a little, like, uh, I, I was like, okay, did I tear something or is it a cramp? And thankfully, it was a cramp. So, um, But I would have been in the same mode. I would have just crawled my ass out of there if I had to. <laughs> but sometimes you can't. I mean, you know, as, much, as, as much as we like to talk as, as tough guys, like, I don't have an in-reach or a, a rescue link or any of that stuff. So I do need to buy something. And what the hesitation I've had about the in-reach is, like, it's just... I got Netflix. I got, I got Disney plus. I've got all these monthly like <laughs> subscriptions and it's like death by a thousand cuts with these it's not monthly cheap, subscriptions. Man. And I just, but when's the last time Disney plus saved your life, Mike? Okay. <laughs> That's true. My kids are old. So if my kids were little, I would probably be able to say like, well, I, I they save it saved my life. Cause I could put them in front of a movie. Oh but yeah. Good they're, point. They're too good old point. now. So for you, you may get your life saved by Disney plus, <laughs> but not for me. Um, but you're right. I mean, I really should um, should get one, or I should just hike with friends that have one. There you go. That's a good way to do it. The, yeah. But the cool thing about the inReach <laughs> is that you can actually sign up for their freedom plan, which allows you to suspend and resume your plan whenever you want. So okay. if you only want to use it in the winter, for instance, you could pay 14 bucks a month for the entire winter, and then you can freeze it for the summer and just you know not use it anymore until the next winter. Just kind of a nice flexibility. I think they realize... It's not something like most people are not going to use that every day on, you know, yeah. unless you're, unless you live in like the Northern tip of Alaska or something, you probably don't need a PLB every day of your life. But for the people who don't, you know, you go out two or three times a month, maybe it's worth 14 bucks a month during those kind of high risk months. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I didn't realize that because I always sort of like assumed that you're like locked in for like a year and that's how they sort of generate their revenue. But knowing that, like maybe I'll, I'll take a look at it, but the, I guess the different levels of in reach, are you familiar enough to sort of know like what, what are the, what are the different levels that they have for in reach? Yeah. I actually just did a video yesterday about the new one. They have a, the in reach two that just came out. Um, that's got like a little bit better battery life and things like that, but they kind of revamped their uh, pricing strategy. It starts with the freedom plan, the one you can freeze at like 15 bucks or 14, 14 50 plus tax or something. And it goes all the way up to $65 a month And that higher tier one just gives you like unlimited messaging, unlimited uh, remote weather. You can get the weather on the device without a cell phone connection. So if you're like through hiking or something, you can get the weather for the upcoming days um, without needing a cell phone signal, which is pretty cool. But the baseline $15 one is basically like just SOS and some uh, two-way communication. I think it's 10 messages per month. So it's not like you can text your you know, friends over and over again, but it's enough to get you by if you're like, for me, the most valuable thing, because you know, wife and kids, I can text and be like, I'm running late, but I'm okay. And that avoids me a whole bunch of stress when I get home. Yeah. Got it. That's really what it's all about for me. Like even more so than the SOS function, the fact that I can tell my wife, like I'm running two hours late because I didn't expect this. That's a, that's a game changer for me. Now, what about the spots? Like you have pre-programmed messages, canned messages. So yeah. what are the, 
What are the subscriptions for those or are there any? It's pretty similar. I think they start at like 20, 20 bucks a month for spot, but the difference is there's no two way communication there. So it's all, it's all included, you know? So I think ultimately it's cheaper for the spot because the device is cheaper. Um, but you only get those pre-cam messages. So I think it's up to five. Yeah. You can have like, I'm okay. I'm hurt, but I'm running late or blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, the downside there is you can't have a conversation. So just imagine sending a text to your wife that says, I'm hurt. I'm running late. And she can't do anything with that. Like, what do you, right? Yeah, yeah. My wife would call 911 right there. She'd be like, okay, well, that's an emergency. Um, so yeah, I, I like the two way. I think spot actually recently came out with a two way communication device, but it didn't get great reviews. I haven't tried it out myself, but hopefully more come to the table and it becomes more accessible because right now it's really expensive. It is. Dave, do you know, Will, and I've heard, I heard talk about this like a couple of years ago, but it's, I feel like it's quieted down quite a bit, but do you think that cell phone technology will eventually disrupt this, this market of like locator beacons and safety devices? Like, will the cell phones get so advanced with satellite technology that, they could potentially disrupt this market so that you could have capabilities on an iPhone or an Android that, that match what you would get with Spot or InReach or, or Rescue Link. I think that's tough because cell phones inherently um, rely on antennas. So you're really, you're kind of locked into like, for instance, for us, Canon has great cell phone coverage and so does Tecumseh because they've got a huge freaking antenna right on the summit of the mountain, right? Um, yeah. But if there, there's more remote areas like in the, you know, the bonds, for instance, I've never had service out there. Um, so I think it depends where you live. But for me, I switched from Veri- from T-Mobile to Verizon and I got a way better coverage up, up north. I think just about everywhere, I've got pretty good coverage in the whites. Um, but yeah, the, the inReach is definitely more full, more foolproof. You're not going to, you know, be in a dead zone with the inReach. Um, that said, who, who knows what's to come? Yeah. I just didn't know if in the future, like we may see embedded satellite technology inside the phones in addition to the antennas. I know that we have a little bit with like the, the Gia apps and things like that, that can work off of connection, but I didn't know in the future if there may be satellite technology coming to the, the, the cell phones. I think what I would love to see in some future version is that built into the watches. So like in reach technology in a Garmin that you wear on your wrist that doesn't give you cancer because that sounds like it would, but you know, hopefully they figure it out by then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. Um, All right. So just switching. (laughs) Yeah. Just switching. So um, a couple of more gear questions. So running stuff like, um, trail running sneakers, earbuds, running vests, just very quickly. Um, do you have any sort of recommendations or, or thoughts around like that, that type of gear? Oh man, I don't know. It's super personal, especially if like, if you're planning on going to the whites, um, like for me, if I do a Prezi Traverse, I wear a, a 10 liter running vest, you know, and that seems like not enough for most people and probably not enough in bad and bad conditions, but like I pick and choose my days. So I make sure it's a good weather forecast in the middle of, you know, July or something. And I go up there with uh, pretty minimal gear, but like right now I'm still hiking with uh, <laughs> right now. I'm still hiking with, um, you know, full on backpack winter gear, just like everybody else. So yeah, not a, not a whole lot in like earbuds. Aren't those a, um, 
Aren't those frowned upon in the trails? No, boom boxes are. Yeah, well, run, for trail runners, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I'm in the market for a new new pair, so I am curious what your. Oh, there is there is one pair I'll mention. They just came out last week, and I posted a video about them. They're called the Sony Link Buds, and they are the yeah. weirdest earbuds you'll ever see because they actually have a hole in the middle of the earbud. It's like a donut, and the idea yeah. is you can hear everything around you. It's like it doesn't block out the sound but you can plumb your music in there at the same time. So if there's like a bear growling at you in the woods, you'll still hear that while you're uh, listening to, you know, Britney Spears or whatever it is you guys do, you know? Situational awareness. <laughs> that stomp listens to Britney Spears. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool though. Yeah, so I think we mostly covered everything. So stomp, what am I missing? What do you what do you want to what do you want to know from Dave? Oh, let's see. I had a question. Oh, yes. With Rockhopper, how are they managing um, for injured hikers or runners that are 20 miles out or 13 miles out? What are they doing? What's what's their safety protocol? Yeah, uh, I think their first protocol is that during their pre-race meeting, they announced that you cannot drop from this race. <laughs> so... <laughs> They basically say, don't drop uh, unless you're at an aid station. And even then, it's not great because you're, it's a backcountry aid station. So ideally, I think they, I mean, you can't stop injuries and stuff like that, but they really try to make sure people are qualified to do this race and that they drop at the end or beginning aid station. So you're at a road or something like that. Gotcha. If you had to, I, I think you could end up, you could probably drop along the trail um, and I would g assume that like fellow runners would let the race staff know at the next aid station. And then from there, they'd probably radio it in and, and you know, try to get that runner down. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean that, you know, search and rescue, it's similar thing. If, if somebody up there just blacked out, it'd be a hell of a challenge to get them down because that's some pretty rugged terrain in there. Yeah. Well, I wonder what'll happen when the races get longer. I, I could have sworn I heard that they're planning some presidential adventure, but I'm not hundred percent sure about that. I think it was a rumor, but they do have a couple of, um, they've got a couple of hundred milers now. There's one called the Jigger Johnson 100 and, right. uh, the white, the white Lake ultra, but neither of those are up in the mountains. They're, you know, lower elevations. So I don't think they're as risky. Like sure. I think, I think Kilkenny's probably, probably one of the more riskier areas to, to put that kind of race on, but they pulled it off. Yeah, I would agree. It's pretty difficult to get to. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it would be like doing it'd be like doing a, a race through the Mahusik Traverse or something like that. <laughs> oh, that'll be next. Don't give me any ideas. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I would do that. Holy moly! Oh, that would be gnarly. No kidding. Nothing like running up the Mahusik Arm. That's a, that would be fun. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, that's all I had. I was curious about that. Yeah, well, Dave, it was interesting talking to you. I think. Um, you know, if anybody is looking to research stuff. So I think on your channel, like I've seen, like definitely the wheel. So the, the GPS watches, like there's a ton of stuff on there. You've got a ton of reviews on like trail runners. I've seen you do stuff on headlamps, earbuds. Um, I'll check out that, uh, the, the in-reach review. I haven't looked at that one yet. And then you've got so, a bunch of other gear videos. I think you've done running vest. And then you also talk a little bit about, and, and I'm sort of in this mode right now when it comes to running. Like I do think that like, if you're just dedicated to running, like your body becomes so efficient at running 
that like I, and I think when I originally started running, like I got I dropped a bunch of weight and I got in really good shape and I was like really pushing it hard. But like your body becomes like smart and lazy, even though you're doing the miles, they just your body learns to sort of do it more efficiently. And then it comes down to diet and my diet sucks. So I don't see the benefits of like the weight loss and I'm getting older and slower. So can you talk a little bit about your I guess your thoughts on like, how do you continue to get the benefits from running as you progress along and you get a little bit older? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super, it's uh, really challenging. I think for me, the biggest support is uh, my wife. You know, she makes me feel really guilty, <laughs> you know, if I, if I indulge too much or, um, you know, too many slices of cake at the birthday party or too many beers uh, during the week. <laughs> Um, and that definitely keeps me, keeps me accountable, but at the same time, I also feel better, you know, when I'm running and when I feel, I don't know, it's just like you hit this mode. You'd probably know, like when you're, when you're training up for a race, like the Mount Washington road race, you hit a point where you, you just feel good. And you're like, I wish I could feel like this all the time. So as I get older, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that it's more challenging and it's only going to get harder and harder. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just try to try to do what I can. I don't want to, I try not to make life miserable and I still try to enjoy myself, but also in the back of my mind, I try to, you know, eat the right foods, you know, drink a lot of water, take my vitamins, do all the things because as I get older, I know it's, it's already affecting me. I, I it's more challenging than it was three years ago, but I'm still trying to hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you're 52. Yeah. yeah. Stop. Do you miss it? You used to be a big runner. I do miss it, actually, and I've been thinking about getting back into it. Um, you know, the, this time of the year, I always get that bug to start running up and down hills over and over again, like I'm training for the Mount Washington, but uh, I got to be careful with my hip. But I think I could do it very gently, like, you know, just very gentle type of uh, gait pattern and get back into it. But I wouldn't want to get crazy again with the uh, the trails and stuff. It's just too much. Yeah, you got to protect that hip. You And your body changes so much. Oh hell yeah, yeah! It's like when you're when you're so busy, you know, carrying a heavy pack and hiking. My body has changed so much from when I was hiking, uh, running, and trail running, and all that stuff. It's like, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's too late for me. Someday, stop. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll run the flat section of the Hancock. So. But um, do you want to transition? You want to you want to talk about forest roads now? Yeah. Hey, let's do it. You know, this is. Um, it's sort of a lengthy piece. So what I'm going to suggest, Mike, is that I will skim this and we can take the file and give a link to the listeners. How's that sound? Yeah. Yeah. I think that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, this is great. So my thought was to put together a list of all the forest roads that lead to different uh, locations, whether it be 52 of the views or the presidentials or the terrifying 25. So um, as you know, these roads are closed during the winter. You know, the, the closure times may vary from location to location. And we are coming up to that time when they're going to be opening up again. So a lot of them start opening up on May 1st onward. And um, other areas may be a little bit later as the snow recedes. But um, let's check out what we have here. I think this would be really handy for the newbies. Um, some of the more experienced hikers already know of some of these locations. But um, let's start with some of the, the larger well-known ones. The first one on my list, and these are in no particular order, but Mount Clinton Road. And uh, Dave, Mike, 
chime in if you want to add to any of this uh, as, as I go along here. Mount Clinton Road is a monster for sure. It's off Route 302 in Bretton Woods. Uh, if you're heading east, you pass the Omni. And um, it comes up on your left just before the Highland Center. This is a huge access point for the Southern Presidentials. Uh, you have Crawford Path to Mount Pierce, Edmonds Path to Mount Eisenhower. It is just a great location. Number two, Jefferson Notch Road, right across the way, actually. So in the summer, Mount Clinton Road, if you drive this, uh, will intersect with the Cog Base Road and actually go straight on to Jefferson Notch, which leads you straight up to the Caps Ridge Trailhead. Uh, and this leads to Mount Jefferson. The road itself is super cool. It's uh, 3,009 feet. It's the highest public road in New Hampshire. I mean, auto road is 7.6 miles. That's that's the longest and highest, but that's a private road. This is the uh, the highest elevation for a public road, which is pretty cool. For New Hampshire's highest 500 peaks off of Jefferson Notch Road, you have uh, Mount Dartmouth and uh, Millen Hill, roughly like 1.6 to 0.6, so you could bushwhack right over. And Caps Ridge, that's a, that's a notorious trail. It's on the T25, and I think, no, it's not 52 of the view, but it's uh, T25 for sure, terrifying 25. Yeah. And Stomp, one thing that I would call out about Mount Clinton Road is uh, when it is closed in the winter, I always tell people, like people will ask me like, hey, you know, I'm going up to North Conway and I want to go snowshoeing or I'm going to Brenton Woods and I want to go snowshoeing. I feel like Mount Clinton Road, like if you park at the Crawford Path um, parking lot and then you get snowshoes or you rent snowshoes, like that's an awesome place to go to just do a flat snowshoe and you get like the views out to the Omni hotel and stuff like that there's a couple of fields that open up you sure do and uh that's an awesome place to like sort of do a gear shakedown if you're you're, you're not comfortable with snowshoes and you want to want to find a spot i always recommend that it's funny you mentioned that uh field because that's where i would take snowmobile tours if i had like 20 minutes to kill i'd take them down to that that overlook to yeah. the omni and it's an amazing place uh super cool um yeah and Edmonds is not too far off from that field actually so next on the list, this is another monster too, Gale River Loop Road. A uh, little more of a challenge in the winter. Uh, you have a couple miles to get into the trailheads, but this is off Route 3 in Twin Mountain. And there are two entries, one at Five Corners, which is Trudeau Road, or the south branch of the Gale River side. Um, so from here, obviously, you can access the Gale River Trail, which leads to Galehead Mountain. From there, you can grab the Garfield Ridge East, and that's a New Hampshire highest 500 peak. And then the other side, you can grab Garfield Trail, leading to Mount Garfield. So super cool. Uh, next on the list is Zealand Road. This is off 302 as well in Twin Mountain. Um, it's great access for 52 of the view Sugarloafs, Mount Hale. And uh, it's basically the eastern wall of the Pemi Loop. So you're, you're heading into Mount Zealand, leading up to uh, Mount Geo, the Bonds, and the Twins. And uh, for any of the, the highest 500 folks, you have Mount Oscar, Mount Rose, um, Mount Hale South Peak, and another favorite, White Wall. White Wall is an amazing slide if you want to tackle a, a, a fairly decent slide. Chagra and I did that at night. And um, what I have to say about that slide, though, is it's super active. It really is. It's super active. So you got to watch your footing on that one. Here we go. Ready? Your favorite. Ravine Lodge Road, which leads to Musilauke. <laughs> so basically, this is closed in the winter as well. Um, 
this is probably the primary route to get up uh, Mount Musalak. So as you leave Woodstock, you're taking Route 118, which passes, by the way, uh, Waternomy, where that B-18 bomber is. And then you have Elbow Pond, which accesses uh, New Hampshire Highest 500s. Uh, but the main enchilada here is Musalak via Gorgebrook. So that's a great way to go. Uh, let's see. T25. No T25s for this. Although if you did take the Asquam Trail, you could get over to Beaverbrook Trail, which is an elective, if I remember correctly, on T25. Correct. Yep. The Beaverbrook Trail. Yeah. You know, if you started at Ravine Lodge, you'd, you'd be heading uh, down Beaverbrook, which would be <laughs> even more terrifying. No, thanks. Uh, let's see, York Pond Road or Millbrook Road. I think these are synonymous. This is Route 110 in Milan, uh, talking about the Kilkenny Ridge. It's a 2.1-mile road, which leads into uh, the trailheads for Mount Cabot, or you could loop it and get the bulge and the horn, which are also on the 52 of the view. So that's a super cool spot. I haven't been up there in ages. How about you guys? It's a good I good th- area. Yeah, I think York Pond is open all winter. I think there's a gate at the fishery, but I think it's mostly open. Okay, I've heard I different think. things about that, but... Yeah. Don't you have yeah. to park down the road a bit and then like walk up to... I, I recall that, because I did that in the winter, and I recall that... There was a bit of a walk to get I there. I think it just depends on the circumstances. Yeah, it may just remember. oscillate depending on the weather. Who knows? Mm. Or maybe if it's plowed or not. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Probably simple enough. Um, let's see. Sawyer River. Yes. My favorite. So let's see. Uh, this takes you to Mount Carrigain and a whole host of 500 highest, which is, you know, Vosper, Mount Lowell. Mount Anderson, Signal Ridge Parking Lot Peak, and then uh, if you want to get really adventurous, the Huntingtons and Hancocks, which um, would be a hell of a day, but it's possible. So, you know, Sawyer River's off of 302 as you're uh, approaching Bartlett. Uh, this Tripoli Road. This is, Tripoli Road is awesome. Tripoli Road is closed during the winter, and uh, from the Waterville side, you have the Livermore Road as well, which is technically just always closed. I mean, it's gated unless there's an emergency or something like that. But be- between the two of these locations, you're talking about the Osceolas, Mount Tecumseh, uh, Scar Ridge, East Pond Loop, which is super cool. Um, a whole bunch of highest 500s, Russell Pond Peaks, Hicks Mountain. For the T25, um, I don't think there is one. Um, I made a note here that the chimney probably should be on that, but uh, it's probably not long enough, I would think. Yeah. And... Um, Let's see. Oh yeah, Good Good Rich Rock is also on the fifty two with a view, which is a spur off of Livermore Road, and I've, we've talked about this briefly before. But Good Rich is really sweet, great view of Waterville, actually the ski resort, and then there's North Tri Slide, which is absolutely incredible. That's at the end of Livermore Road, um, which is on the T twenty five. So those are the big ones. I mean, I have a handful of smaller ones worth a mention, but we'll get there. Yeah. And is it Stomp, is it fair to say like Sawyer River and Tripoli, those are the, I feel like there's a lot of times like the last ones to open up and that sort of marks the beginning of the summer season once those those ones are opened up? I would think so. Probably more so uh, Sawyer because of the elevation. Do you know, like, yeah, who are the people that are in charge of, like, opening these things up? Like, I feel like it's, like, two guys that just drive around in a pickup <laughs> truck and just, like, look at the road, and they're like, eh, these asshole hikers, I guess we'll open it up for them. I don't know. Like, how does that work? 
Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's it's the U.S. Forest Service. It's their call. I'm sure they're uh, you know in coordination with the different districts, um, the ranger districts. So hey, how's it looking out there? I mean, it's it's probably fairly simple procedure, but uh, yeah, it's the Forest Service's call. But you're right. I mean, somebody's got those damn keys. It's got to, like, I just, like, picture these, like, grizzly old dudes, like, ah, these hikers are all bothering us. They're, they're calling the ranger station, asking us when the roads are going to be open. We'll get to it. Or, yeah, or picture the giant, like, four-inch diameter key ring with 50 keys on it. Like, where the hell's the key? Where the... <laughs> Sounds like a prison guard or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, man, it's too funny. <laughs> So here's some secondary ones which uh, folks will find interesting. I'll just zip through these quick. Nash Stream Road, which is uh, New Hampshire 110 in Stafford. It's close to Stark. Where you've got 52 with a view. You've got the Percy Peak, Sugarloaf. Uh, Percy Peak Trail to North Percy is actually on the T25. A um, couple 500s up there. This is one of my favorites because I'm in love with the Algonquin Trail. The T25 um, is... Uh, uh, it's an, it's an elective, the Algonquin, but this is off of Sandwich Notch Road, um, which is one of the more rugged roads. So you got to make sure that your car is uh, able to handle this one. For the 500 highest, you have the Weedamoos, Halls Pond Mountain, and the Doubleheads. Uh, let's see. Unknown Pond Road, which is near Stark as well, up near the Nash Stream Forest. That's off of one, Route 110. You have Rogers Ledge, the Bulge Horn, um, Unknown Pond Peak and Pilot Ridge for the 500. I mean, there's just so much. Um, For the more popular ones, I have several others, but I'll just zip through. I think this is worth a mention here. You have Cherry Mountain Road, which opens for the warmer weather and is an amazing road. I I didn't even really know about this road, but um, this is where we, we would take some of the snowmobile tours. And this is another alternate access route for Mount Martha Cherry owl's head and um you know mount deception if you're doing some of the higher bushwhacks so keep that in mind that's off of 302 or route two i believe from the north and then mike you're, you're probably more familiar with this one than i am hurricane mountain road that's on the hurricane old conway mountain. side but yeah 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 i uh, that's that's like insanely steep on the so if you if you take it from the main side uh, so you can yeah. get th- you can get there from Freiburg, and I used to dr- I used to ride my bike. So my wife would go shopping in North Conway with the kids, and I would leave from Freiburg and ride my bike, and then I would ride my bike up Hurricane Mountain. And one time, like a car came, and like when you're riding a bike up the hill, like you're clipped into the pedals, <laughs> and like this car came flying down, and like I just didn't have enough momentum because I was like zigzagging across the road, so I had to get inside. And this guy comes driving riding his car down and like I just didn't have enough momentum and I was clipped in and I literally just like fell straight over on my bike and um <laughs> you know and the guy stopped he passed me then he stopped he got up his car he's like are you okay and I was like I'm embarrassed but I'm okay so but yeah that's a fun road oh to just sit down on your bike yeah I mean year round you can access Kearsage North because the gate is after the trailhead which is cool but when the tr- when the gates open you can access uh Rickers Knoll, which from Kearsage North, if you're looking east, you can see the knoll. With that day when you and I went up there, Mike, and we saw that incredible undercast, that knoll to the east. I don't know if you recall that, but it's right there, approximate to it. And then you have Hurricane Mountain and uh, Black Cap. 
So lots to access from the road itself from the top. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. It, let's just finish with this one because this is really cool. Carter Notch Road, um, which basically follows Wildcat Brook and Jackson, um, leads into the Wild River, which, I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful area. And the one of the main areas that I like to focus on is the uh, Rainbow Trail, which is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, from this area, you access uh, the Bald Faces, Black Mountain. Um, it's just incredible. And by the way, the uh, Rainbow Trail goes to Carter Dome. So you don't hear too much about this area, but it is gorgeous in there. Yeah, I've been back there a little bit. I gotta, I want to explore it a little bit more. Like that's also the backside of Evans Notch in that area, right? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Beautiful. All right, Stomp. So we'll link this in the show notes with a whole rundown of the um, the forest roads. And we got to find out, like, you do some digging, Stomp, and figure out who the... I feel like it's just one or two guys that are in charge of doing all these roads. And you got to get in with <laughs> the key, them. The key master. <laughs> yeah. You got it. So I got one... <laughs> it's not really a search and rescue story, but it's sort of a special interest story that I thought was kind of interesting. So sad because somebody died, but it's it's just sort of an interesting story for us to close out on. So this guy, he's a personal trainer. 29 years old from Britain. His name is Tom Mansfield. And this is a this is a um, cautionary tale that when you're in your science class in eighth grade and ninth grade, like you need to really pay attention to sort of the, the metric measurements. So this guy is a personal trainer and he died from a caffeine overdose. So apparently like you can buy this caffeine powder. Have you heard of this stuff? Yeah, yeah. And um, he was supposed to be measuring in milligrams, but he it didn't come with like a measuring scoop or anything like this. It was just powder. And he ingested five grams, which is the equivalent of 200 cups of coffee. Um, wow. When he was supposed to only have like, I don't know, a certain amount of mega uh, milligrams. Milligrams, so, yeah. So um, he just like got his measurements incorrect and... And he ended up like ODing on caffeine. His heart exploded. Oh, I bet. Palpitations, just yeah. arrhythmia. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah, yeah. But it got me thinking, like, I was like, if I can get my hands on some of this caffeine powder and, like, you're halfway <laughs> up and you're starting to bonk, like, obviously you get the measurements <laughs> correct. But, like, you could use that stuff to really power your way up a, up a, up a hill. Uh, I don't know. Yes and no. I mean, a lot of those goo tablets are loaded with caffeine, and I don't know if they helped or not. I think the electrolytes are more of a boost than, say, caffeine would be. Or totally agree. Hydration. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I get your point. Yeah. It's like you think it helps, but I think in the long run, if you were doing like a super duper ultra or something like that, you're you're hurting yourself. But uh, in a joking way, I, yeah. I mean, in theory. Caffeine is supposed to give you a boost, I guess, right? Although it doesn't yeah. really do that to me. Like I could have a, a cup of coffee right now, nine o'clock at night, and just go to bed. <laughs> really? Yeah, it definitely affects me. So I guess my theory. Yeah. So you're saying like that? Don't do the caffeine powder, and just just go with the electrolytes. I would stick with the nuns, the electrolytes, the you know, yeah, Pedialytes and all that mm. stuff. I think your body's gonna better and uh, well suited for any adventure you throw at it if you're hydrated and just you know uh, I like the shortcut 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can try like cocaine or something. You want maybe cocaine? <laughs> yeah, no, no. That might, that, that might do it for you. So anyway, but this guy, 29 <laughs> years old, rest in peace. He, he overdosed on caffeine. That's kind of an interesting story. So, Huh. Interesting. All right, Dave. So we, we learned all about your YouTube channel. We learned all about you going hiking with your giant Rambo knife and your buddies. <laughs> Send us some pictures of that. Oh, you know what you should do is take this. We've got the video and you should like post some, but you should flash up pictures of you and your buddies on your very first hike. So, we'll, we'll do. Try, without yeah. embarrassing myself, I'll try to. Yes, try to pull exactly. That <laughs> but uh, that's it. So this is episode 49. So Stomp, anything else before we, we wrap? No, thanks, Dave. It was really good conversation. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's pretty awesome. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Good. Till next time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.